to the Lowenstein Sandler podcast series. I'm Kevin Iredell, Chief Marketing Officer at Lowenstein Sandler. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Now let's take a listen. Welcome to Don't Take No for an Answer. I'm your host, Eric Jesse. I'm a partner in Lowenstein Sandler's Insurance Recovery Group. As our listeners hopefully know, here at Lowenstein, we like to fight the good fight on behalf of our policyholder clients when insurance companies try and withhold coverage from them. And insurance recovery is a specialized area of the law, and it takes dedication and experience to do battle against the insurance companies and their counsel day in, day out. So today we want to talk about the life of a policyholder lawyer. What does it take to do battle with an insurance company? And how does one even decide to become an insurance recovery attorney? Because I'm pretty sure no one wakes up and says, yes, today is the day I'm going to be an insurance lawyer. So to answer those burning questions, I'm joined by Alex Corson, who's an associate in Lowenstein's insurance recovery group and one of our rising stars here. And I can personally attest to this is a policyholder zealot always in search of winning argument to get insurance companies to pay. So welcome to Don't Take No, Alex. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on. All right. So with that, let's jump in. Alex, I know you had a life before law. You were in IT. I know you're a great singer and dedicated to that craft. So how in the world did you become interested in policyholder side insurance work? Well, as you said, I had a career or careers before law school. I was a singer and then I was in IT. I made the decision in 2017 to go back to school, graduated from Seton Hall and got a job as a general litigator doing commercial disputes of various types. It was really just happenstance that I ended up in insurance. I was put on a big R&W case and I spent a lot of time getting up to snuff on a handful of insurance issues. And I, I just loved it. I thought it was a really interesting area of law. So I made the move to Lowenstein Sandler in March of 2022 and immediately you and Linda and Michael took me under your wing and gave me a whole lot of new insurance matters and issues to look at. And I was just totally in love with the practice at that point. That's how I got here. My experience is somewhat similar in that, you know, for me, it came down to the people and the partners in the group when I was coming up and the mentorship that I got, because it was that first and insurance second, because frankly, I like to tell the story about When I was a 3L in law school, I signed up for a two-credit insurance law class, and then I realized I had enough credits to graduate with. So I said, insurance law, I'm going to drop that. I'll never need that. But here I am today. I didn't even take an insurance law class in law school. I just you know, took it from contracts and and went from there. So you've been a policyholder zealot for a few years now. So what are the things you like most about being a policyholder lawyer? Well, in addition to being a zealot, as you put it, which feels good sometimes, especially when you win, I think that the area of law is really fascinating. There are a lot of policy considerations that go into each and every issue. I mean, even the smallest issues like, you know, should you toll a suit limitations clause for the duration of time while the insurer is making its coverage determination can be different state by state. Contract law is is state-specific, so you get 50 different versions of the same issues, and the courts sort of balance these issues in different ways. So all that to say, there's a lot of really interesting meat to chew on in this area, and it's sort of always different. And on the subject of 
being different all the time, you can get coverage for almost anything. And so every matter, you've got some different underlying dispute or coverage matter to deal with. So you're not always dealing with the same type of fact patterns. One day it could be, you know, a bodily injury type claim under a CGL policy. The next day you could be reading about the government investigation under a DNO policy. So I love the the variety and the sort of nuance that goes into this practice. I agree with that. You know, one of the things I like about, you know, being in the insurance group is, you know, to piggyback on what you were saying about it touching so many different areas is at Lowenstein, we're a full service firm. So it allows us to, for me, that, you know, I like being able to interact with all the other departments in, in, in the group. So one day you're dealing with attorneys in the real estate group and another day it's the bankruptcy group and then our corporate group or our privacy group. So it's really just a great opportunity, frankly, I like just to have a natural way to connect with other attorneys throughout the firm. Yeah, I feel very fortunate to be in this group, not only for the excellent mentorship of the IRG attorneys, but the fact that in my almost two years of being at Lowenstein, I've interfaced with practice leaders and attorneys in almost every group. I've worked with you on deals and met corporate folks. I've worked with the head of our litigation department, I've worked with bankruptcy, I've worked with just a lot of different attorneys. So that FaceTime as a rising junior attorney is important and also beneficial. So it's a great practice for that reason. Absolutely. All right. So now in the interest of being even handed, you told us why being a policyholder is so great. So what are the downsides or what what don't you like about policyholder? And it's okay to be honest. Uh, (laughs) Well, the honest answer has to be insurers are difficult. And their counsel can be difficult. That's the truth. And you can get sort of stuck in these sort of ticky tacky, small fights over things like bills and small dollar value issues that can just be made into a bigger issue and take a lot more time. Even the things that should be easy can sometimes be difficult. Not always. Sometimes we have fair adversaries, but that's probably the number one thing that can be difficult about the practice. Yeah. And, and, you know, that really does require you to not let the small stuff overtake what are the truly important issues in a case or dispute, because sometimes insurers will try and make the smallest thing into the biggest thing. And you need to be able to weave through that and, you know, turn back to the important issues in a case. So I agree with you on that one. So why is this a specialized area of law in your view, or, or maybe said another way, you know, when a policyholder has an issue, a claim dispute, why is it important to work with, you know, a specialized insurance attorney? Well, it's a great question. And I learn more about the answer to that question every day, because when you first, you know, pick up a file that's about insurance recovery, you think, oh, this is a straightforward breach of contract or contractual based dispute. I know the tenants of contract, it's uh, offer acceptance consideration. And then you just sort of go from there. But what you find out when you start practicing in insurance is that, as I said earlier, there's 50 different states that have all taken different approaches on many different little nuanced issues. And the insurers write these things. So it's important to have a specialized attorney that's experienced with the specific insurance issues because the insurers employ specialized counsel to not only to litigate them, but to write them. And they're reacting to the industry and to the previous claims that they have. And if you go in with a general contract litigator type of representation, 
you're going to miss some of these nuances and they're going to, the insurer's counsel is going to run circles around you. So it's very important to have someone that's familiar with the nuances and the tendrils of those nuances when you're doing battle with insurers, as you say. I agree with that. And I mean, insurance policies can be complicated. They can be a hundred pages long. There can be definitions from A to, you know, triple Z where you have defined terms and you have to use the secret decoder ring to figure out if there's coverage. And then there's, of course, nuances in the case law. So I would say, you know, it does require someone who eats, breathes, and lives insurance day in, day out to be able to spot, you know, at the end of the day, the winning arguments. And, and sometimes, you know, you see a case come down from a court where it's an insurance company attorney versus a general litigator on the other side for the policyholder. And you're seeing the arguments that could have or should have been made from the policyholder perspective. I couldn't agree more. So as you're coming up the ranks and you know, developing your knowledge base and, you know, specialty, you know, what are some of the traits that you think a policyholder lawyer should possess? There's probably two or or three skills or traits that are most important when you're in this area. I think the first is you have to be detail oriented. There's a lot of nuance in the law, like I mentioned, and a lot of nuance and sort of decoder ring in the policies themselves, especially when they're, they're longer. So, Anyone that's read an insurance policy knows that sometimes you have to go to the endorsement and then back to the policy, and that points you to another endorsement, right? So you need to be detail-oriented and have the ability to sort of wrap your head around a lot of moving pieces. And then, you know, part and parcel with that are, are contract language skills, right? Ability to, you know, although the substance of, of what we're seeking coverage for is often different, at the end of the day, we're usually fighting about what words mean, right? And so having the ability to come up with various interpretations of quote-unquote plain words is a necessary skill that most litigators have to do, but is particularly important in insurance. And then I think finally, being practical and in some ways being creative are specific skills that are important to being a policyholder lawyer because being correct is only half the battle, right? You also need to be able to leverage your correctness or correct point of view into results for clients. And so a lot of times you have to get creative in terms of what your strategy is going to be or what pressure point you're going to put on because just writing a letter to the insurance company and saying, we're right for this reason doesn't always move the needle and result in in a recovery. So we need to be strategic as litigators. We need to be strategic as negotiators. And we need to know which pressure points are going to get results for our clients. Absolutely. I think that's something we, we pride ourselves on here in the insurance recovery group, because, you know, what I see is, you know, we don't take a kill the mouse with the cannonball type of approach. You know, we do, as you say, you know, think just strategically, try to find the right pressure points. What are the quick wins we can get to bring an insurance company to the table? So, and, and in many cases, you know, our clients you know, don't have the appetite for years and years and years of litigation. So they are looking for ways where, you know, we can help bring money in the door, you know, relatively quickly. And so you have to think strategically to do that rather than go through a rote litigation process where you're just, you know, checking the box along the day. And, you know, frankly, that's one of the things I do appreciate and enjoy about being a policyholder lawyer is, you know, when when you get that success, it's nice that we can actually, at the end of a claim, and our clients 
a check, you know, being plaintiff's lawyers is what we are at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, as you're learning more and, and again, trying to develop your knowledge base and, and expertise, what are a couple of things that you've done to just immerse yourself in insurance law and, and flatten that learning curve? Yeah, well, I would be remiss if I didn't give credit to my mentors, to you and Linda and Michael, who've helped me a lot and whose work product I have pilfered either directly or through our document management system. But in addition to leaning on great leaders, I think that there are a couple of things that someone getting into the practice area can leverage to sort of flatten the curve, as you say. And the first is don't be afraid of secondary resources. I mean, I wouldn't copy case law right out of an alert that some other law firm wrote or that a secondary commenter wrote. However, a lot of these issues turn on sort of insurance jargon or, or terms of art. And whenever I come across a new issue that I haven't dealt with before specifically, I'll turn to the Manilov, the Bible as we refer to it, which is a great secondary resource, or another one that sort of puts the issue into plain English, right? Like, what is this fight about? What is this issue about? I'll start there. And then, you know, also, especially when you're getting started, taking the time to really understand how policies are structured and not just flipping to the page with the provision that you are looking to fight about or litigate about is written. Actually understanding the structure, right? You've got the insuring agreement, and then you've got the exclusions, and then you've got additional conditions, and then your endorsements that go back and modify all those things. So when I was really junior, I took the time, especially when it was justified, to actually go through the policies, you know, especially on every each time I got a new line, right? I would go through the policy and try to understand how is this put together? How does it all fit together before, you know, reaching a conclusion? Because the last thing that you want to do is say, oh, I found the clause that wins the case for us. And you report it back to the partner. And then it turns out there was an endorsement on page 57 that wiped it out. That's the doomsday scenario. So yes, you do have to read the policies as a whole. And I would say, you know, the things to, to flatten the curve, I'd say first, you know, learn, learn by doing. We read, you know, a DNO policy from cover to cover and we do policy audits, but we've talked about internally, all right, how do we teach that, right? Do we sit in a conference room and, you know, walk through a DNO policy where, you know, people might fall asleep 15 minutes in? My perspective is, you know, I'm going to give Alex the DNO policy, take a look at it, get started, and then let's talk about it. Let's walk through it, you know, together in, in kind of real time. And then just, you know, ra- raising your hand for opportunities too, as, as you often do to try and learn a new area or write a client alert. So taking the initiative in that way is a great way to learn more. All right. So final words here. What advice would you give to new lawyers who, you know, maybe don't know about insurance to maybe convince them to consider this as path forward for them or a career path for them? I'd like to rely on the words of our leader, Linda. She put together this slideshow we gave for a CLE where it said a really interesting discussion about insurance. No, really. I think that the the no really part, you know, it's a great practice area, really. And I think that in addition to, you know, the upsides that we've talked about, it's not going anywhere. I mean, insurance is one of the biggest businesses in the entire world. And it has, the practice has infinite applications you know, when you're dealing with policies and and policy language, you, you get exposure to a wide array of subjects and opportunities. 
So I highly recommend the practice. I would not just assume that it's boring or that reading the contracts, your eyes glaze over maybe the first couple of times. But once you get the hang of it, it's really a fascinating and nuanced area and highly recommend it to anyone that's coming up and has an appetite for a varied and sort of broad practice because that's what it is. And we managed to have a little bit of a good time here in the insurance. (laughs) With that, Alex, thank you so much for joining us today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us as well. We'll see you next time on Don't Take No for an Answer. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please subscribe to our podcast series at lowenstein.com slash podcast. Or find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Lowenstein Sandler podcast series is presented by Lowenstein Sandler and cannot be copied or rebroadcast without consent. The information provided is intended for a general audience and is not legal advice or a substitute for the advice of counsel. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. The content reflects the personal views and opinions of the participants. No attorney-client relationship is being created by this podcast and all rights are reserved.